Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Come on, what's up, everybody? Good morning. Man, look around. There's no room in here. we got people everywhere. That's awesome. We had, uh, let me just say this real quick. Uh, the scripture that hit me the other day, you know the, you know the uh, verse that says God inhabits the praises of his people? Well, that's what's why worship's so valuable and so important. God inhabits that. But there was a verse in Psalms, I believe, that got me. It says that God is enthroned in the praise of his people. And I was like, wow, that's a whole different language than just inhabit. That's enthroned. That's setting up a, a throne. That's some kingship, some rulership. That's some, that's some getting enthroned in, in, in your situation. But then it also, uh, the, the opposite is true. What is enthroned in our negativity? Or what is enthroned in our complaints? Or what is enthroned? And so whatever we're kind of giving uh, voice to, praise, uh, enthrones something in our life. And so I just want to encourage you. Can we just give Jesus a big enthroning praise real quick? Come on, let's just enthrone him in our situations. Come on, Lord, you have rule. You have reign in our life. You're enthroned in our praise. We're going to praise you. All the days of our life, it is good to be in God's house with you today. We have Connect Group Rally today, so you saw a lot of tables out there coming in. I'd encourage you, get connected if you're not in a group. Get into a group. I really believe that the next miracle in your life is in a person. A lot of times, uh, we want God to do a miracle, and the miracle's in the person that God's going to bring into your life, in a relationship, in, in someone. And so we do connect groups to have relationships and connection and uh, to watch God do miracles. I believe your life will be better if you get connected. Don't go through a year disconnected from the things of God. And uh, I want to encourage you guys with this real quick, just some little family business. Um, if you can look around, obviously you can see there's no room in here. And uh, we had kids out of room this service. We have, we, we have um, if you've been coming for a while. So not if you're new, if you're a first-time guest, welcome to the family. Uh, welcome to come and hanging out. If you've been coming for a while, um, or maybe you've been coming back, nine o'clock has room. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, and so I just want to encourage you, like we're, we're doing two services right now. We're going to probably do three at Easter and then we're gonna, we can reassess. We went back to two services just to continue to get strong and build the house strong, build our team strong. I'd encourage you to jump on the team and, uh, and, and get, be, become a part. And then maybe we'll do a third service and you can be a part of that crew launching a third service. But, but God's doing miracles here. He's doing revival. Come on here. Revival across so many churches. I'm so thankful for what he's doing and uh, it's just, just to see him moving in your life. But I, I would ask maybe, again, if this is um, your house, this is your church family, consider maybe nine o'clock. What it would do is it'd make some room for people that don't have room and make room for uh, people in the community or and I don't want to push a lot of pressure on you or anything like that. But uh, we can change the service times. <laughs> I'll threaten you. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I, um, we considered a 9.30 and 11.15 service time, which might uh, even things out a little bit more. But maybe um, you wanted to make, be a missionary to the 9 a.m. And so you could bring your whole family to the 9 a.m. And then you could serve at this service to make a service accessible to somebody that maybe needs the gospel that way. Is that okay, everybody? Awesome. We're going to be uh, in a series on relationships. We're going to look at marriage and relationships. Uh, happily ever after. Uh, uh, look at somebody and say, happily ever after. We, uh, who wants happily ever after? I think we all want happily ever after when it comes to relationships. And so the title of this new series is called Situationship. Situationship. Anybody ever found themselves in a situationship? Anybody in one now? No, I'm just kidding. I... 
situationship is kind of a, a, a scenario where you're dating or, or you're, you find yourself in a relationship. It's not quite defined. There's not quite clear boundaries. You're not quite sure what it is. Somebody asks you, like, are y'all, what, what is it? And you're like, ah, it's kind of like, I was just a little bit of a situationship. Uh, some people don't think that applies to marriage. It can easily apply to marriage. Um, you might need to define the relationship and the marriage a little bit. Uh, no clear boundaries, usually in a situationship. Uh, irregular or superficial contact. Come on, uh, that can be real, um, uh, whether you're single or married. Uh, lack of integration into each other's lives. Situationship. The relationship doesn't grow. And so uh, we all want healthy marriages. We're going to go into a series this next, next, next month all around marriage, relationships, how to build them strong, how to build them healthy. And um, we're going to go by the Word of God. I'm not going to give you a, a lot of my opinion. I'll give you some opinion, but, but I'm going to be in the Word of God. Come on, how do you know? How many you know the Word of God is what changes our life? The Word of God is what we have to build on. And so I'm going to give you a picture of a godly marriage. Um, marriage was God's idea. Um, it was God's gift and his idea. We'll get into that. And, um, uh, God, uh, reinforces marriage and what marriage looks like. Jesus reinforces it historically. Um, when they ask him about marriage, Jesus says, you know, he goes back and refers to Genesis chapter two and refers to historical marriage. And so, um, we as a church, let me just say this, the church is probably, uh, there's so much brokenness and pain and hurt in the world. And we've all experienced broken marriages and somebody, everybody in here has probably been affected by a broken marriage to some degree, just the way the world is. And so um, there's a lot of a pain and hurt in that. And, then, and out of that, there's come a lot of uh, misunderstanding about identity and, and love and lust and what love is and, and what, you know, who, you know, who can be married. And there's just, there's so many things. Let me just say as a church, as Transformation Church, we love everybody. We love all people and everybody's welcome. Jesus was friends with everybody. Uh, but I do want to say um, you, can, you can love people and you can, you can accept people without approving of certain actions. And the church hasn't done a good enough job of understanding how do we accept and, and love you, but also we don't approve in, in, of certain things, of, of things that are against God's word, anything. So I would just say we as a church, we do believe in a biblical sexual ethic. I, I just, that's, I have to, I have to go by the word of God and I'm not scared or shy to talk about what the Bible says. And so we're going to talk about that throughout some of this series. And, um, again, everybody is loved. People are welcome. People are, you know, we, but we celebrate the love that, that God talks about in his scriptures. And so I think any of, of any day and age, the world needs the truth. And we, and we can't be uh, mean, we can't be arrogant, we can't be prideful, um, but we also can't, we can't ignore the truth in the word of God. And so there's a way to love people and bring the word of God on the scene uh, to see people's lives change. I know the word of God is what changed my life, man. I was, I was wicked, somebody, come on. Somebody, I, I, I wrote the play, Wicked. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I, and, and the word of God is what got into my life and healed me and, and cleansed me and purified me and set my feet on a solid rock and, and got me up out of the miry clay. Uh, come on, David said, God took me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock, the rock of Jesus. Well, what's miry clay? Miry clay is when you take a little bit of dirt and a little bit of water and you get clay. When you take a little bit of the word and a little bit of the world, it gets real hard to run in. It gets very clay-like. But God said, no, 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 no. I'm going to take you out of the miry clay and set your feet upon the rock of Jesus Christ, the truth of my word. And you could actually build a life that's worth building on the rock of God. Is that okay? 
So we're going to love everybody. We're going to love people. We're going to champion the truth of God's word. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13 today. It's the picture of love. It's Paul's uh, picture. Uh, he's communicating love. It's really a picture of Jesus. And um, very important that we even go into this today because we've been in a series about power and the fire of God and the, the gifts of God and the Holy Spirit. And we love that. And, uh, but Paul makes a little quick, uh, abrupt uh, clause in the middle of all the power and all the gifts in Corinthians 13. He says, well, wait a minute. Uh, let me just speak to you about what's real maturity. And he says this, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, this is some heavy duty stuff, this is moving mountains. Like if I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And then he talks about what love is. Love suffers long, it's patient. Love is kind. Come on, anybody ever thought about fruit of the spirit, just kindness? Like, I just wanna be kinder this year. Love is kind. Love does not envy, it's not jealous. Love does not parade itself, it is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, it does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity. That's an important one, because our society rejoices in all types of love. The Bible says this type of love, God's type of love, doesn't rejoice at evil, doesn't rejoice at iniquity, but rejoices in truth. I say that this way all the time. I'll love you with the truth, but I can't love you beyond the truth. I'll love you with the truth all day long. I'll love you, but I can't go beyond the truth. I'll rejoice in the truth. Bears all things. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. What a great verse. Love never fails. Paul goes on at the end of this chapter to say, now abide faith, hope, and love. Now abide. Now there's some stuff that lasts. There's a love that lasts. There's a love that's been through some stuff. There's a love that is strong. My title for today is looking at love, looking at love. Father, uh, we look to you to give us the example of love. Jesus, we see you, your love uh, personified. Uh, your love incarnate, your, your love with skin and bones on. Thank you for the love you showed. Thank you that you didn't discriminate. You showed love to everybody and you also stood on the truth of God's word. You only said what you heard the father say. Uh, you are the truth. You're the way, the truth, and the life. We look to you today. We look to your type of love. Help us, Lord. If anyone's struggling in their marriage or in a relationship, Lord, would you heal? Would you do some supernatural things by, by, as we look at you, as we look at love? It's your, it's your word, oh God. Change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Looking at love. Man, I am a, I'm a type A personality a little bit. So like I'm competitive. Uh, I, I just, I, I like to, uh, I, I don't know, I, I, I just, I'm a fighter and uh, I don't, that's just my personality. So I'm trying to learn to be more, more uh, compassionate, more nurturing, more considerate. You know, I, I just, like those words aren't part of my normal just every day. Like I just, oh, it's just so compassionate. Like I, I, I don't, that's, other people have that gift, but I, I want to grow in that. Like I want to be a good nurturing father, a loving, caring husband. I want to be considerate and compassionate. I don't want to be uh, abrupt or short or impatient. I don't want to be those things. But how many of you know that we try sometimes and, and sometimes we change and sometimes we don't. 
And some tactics work and some don't. And I'm like, I want to be this way. And sometimes I am in certain areas and sometimes I'm not. My wife's love language is like, like acts of service. Like she, she loves acts of service. My love language is gift giving and words of affirmation and physical touch. All of them. I want them all. No, I'm just kidding. Like, 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 I'm a, like I'm, so I just wish I could just give my wife gifts and she'd be happy. I didn't have to fix anything. Or do any chores. Like my buddy's wife, she's just, she's gift giving. He gives her stuff and goes and plays golf. You know, it's like, okay. But I have to fix stuff to play golf. I'm like, baby, I was yesterday, I'm, I'm raking the yard because I'm like, can I go hit golf balls? My Bible says like, love doesn't want anything in return, right? I'm like, I'm serving and I don't fix, her father, her father can fix stuff. Like he's good at fixing stuff. I, and she loves like acts of fixing stuff. And so when we first got married, she would call him to, to, to fix stuff. And I would get mad. I'm like, man, baby, I, that's, that's embarrassing. I'm a man. Like, I'm a... 23 years later, I'm like, call your daddy. He can fix that. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, she's calling him. He's getting 82. I'm like, I'm going to have to learn to do some stuff around here, you know? Sometimes like our efforts to change or to try to serve, you know, it's a, it, doesn't, it doesn't always, uh, you know, equate to what we want. But my prayer is that we can all learn to grow and to mature and that, that we only can really do it by looking at Jesus, by looking at love. Paul talks about love in 1 Corinthians 13. He's rebuking or correcting Corinthian Christians. Uh, they were all puffed up by how many gifts they had and how much power they had in their church and how powerful they were. And they were enamored by each other's gifts. And they thought that was an equation of spiritual maturity. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Power and gifts and faith and all that, that none of those are anything if you don't have love. He actually says it's empty noise and meaningless without love, that, that the measure of maturity is not your giftedness. The measure of your maturity is not how gifted you are or how, many spiritual, how much spiritual power you have. The measure of your maturity is love. Paul says that you're actually losing love. If you lose it, everything is meaningless. You lose everything if you lose love. And I've I, I found often in my spiritual journey as pastoring or just as a, as a person in the Christian world, people of little spiritual maturity are usually the noisiest. People of little spiritual maturity are usually the loudest because they're trying to prove to themselves and others that they're actually authentic in their spirituality. And I would just say, Paul's words in the midst of all the spiritual gifts, the display of love in our relationships and our marriages and I, I believe it's actually the measure of maturity. We can't lose love. So I want to look at marriage. I want to look at uh, that level of maturity of changing. I think I want to change. I think you want to change. Um, here's what we're going to do with marriage. If you're in a tough spot in marriage or God can do something, God can heal it. Um, if you're not married, if you're single as a dollar bill, <laughs> this series is going to help you. Uh, and you can grow and get better in your, in your future for marriage. Um, we're not going to unearth stuff or shame each other. There's no shame. Um, so don't, don't let this be a series of shaming one another. And, uh, I would say, go get a little magnet, put it on your refrigerator and say, from this day forward, <laughs> from this day forward, like you can leave here today from this day forward. So I don't know what happened yesterday, but if you really want healing and you really want God to do some things, it's like, we got to look forward. Our marriage can get better. If it's good, it can get better. God can heal it. And so I want to go into some thoughts about love. I do this every time I talk on relationships, uh, very important. I want to give you a little foundation. Um, in the Greek, there's three words for love. I'm going to kind of nerd out real, with you real quick in the Greek, uh, three words for love. 
um, that we get. The Bible was written in Greek, New Testament. And so the first word we have for love is eros, eros. The word is eros, E-R-O-S, eros. Um, it's where the Greek god eros, eros came from, uh, eros love. It's that passion love, that, that ero- it's where we get our word erotic. It's that fire, that erotic love, that passion, that, that man, that man, I just, I saw him as just, I felt something, just passionate love and that chemistry. Come on, anybody? The chemistry. Can I just say like that, you, that word is not even in the New Testament. Eros love is not even mentioned in the New Testament. And it's everything our society drives and builds and goes after it's what's so easy to run to because it's such a feeling. It's like, it's like, man, love at first sight. No, no, no. Lust at first sight. Is this, I could tell it's my soul. Ain't, no, they looked hot and you, you were desperate that day. You on the, you on the bus going somewhere. You don't, y'all don't even, y'all don't even know each other. You don't even speak the same language, right? You don't even know. You don't even have to. It's just passion. It's just chemistry. You can't build on that. And it's easy for people to run to even in marriages. Cause they might not think they think they need that. And, and they're like, Oh man, I don't have that chemistry here. So I'm gonna run to somebody else. And the reality is you and I can't build on that because it doesn't last, right? The minute you smell that breath, their breath stank. Like the chemistry has gone. The minute they start doing something like that's weird or bugs you, like you didn't know all that stuff when you saw them across the street. Now you start to know them and the, all that is different. Now it's like, man, they, they gross, they weird, right? And so don't build on the attraction and the passion alone. It's not even the New Testament. The second word for love is philia. Philia love, it's brotherly love. It's important. It is in the New Testament. It speaks of brotherly love. It speaks of, speaks of friendship. And uh, it's like that puppy love. Come on, I got that puppy right now at the house. And uh, it's that puppy love. This little puppy, um, I got a seven-year-old dog. She is ornery and she's like half cat. And I, and I can't stand her half the time because she's half cat and I hate cats. Half, uh, so I, half the time I don't like her. And then, and then the other dog is just, just beautiful, little Bernese mountain dog, loving you, walk, running up, getting in your lap. Just, I, that dog's just licking my face, just licking my face. I'm like, ah, just ah, Falia love, lick my face, ah. I would never, I would never let that seven-year-old nasty little dog. I think it's been licking its butt for seven years, man. That thing, it's got dry mouth. It is not touching my face. The puppy, like, ah. The old nasty dry mouth, no, you're not licking my face. It, it's brotherly love, but it changes, right? It comes and goes. It's different. Like you see the little babies, like, ooh, ah, it's ah. Then you see teenagers, like they're nasty. That is gross. So, so you just can't build only on brotherly love or friendship love. It, it, it needs to be there, but it comes and goes and it changes. Paul is using a word called agape um, when he's talking about love you loving each other, you loving your spouse, agape love. Here's what it is. It's love that loves without changing. It's a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It is love that loves even when it's rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from, the, from love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. It's actually where we get our English word agony. meaning that the type of love that actually Jesus says that he wants us to build a life on is painful. It's agony. It's sacrificial. It doesn't always feel good. It's actually a love that we 
decide that we're going to love no matter what. We're going to stick through it. We're going to believe God. We're going to see God do some things in our life and we're going to forgive and we're going to heal. And it's going to be a committed type of love and all in love. So, so if your marriage is hurting, um, that's understandable because sometimes there's agony in love, right? If your marriage is hurting, it can be healed. It can be fixed. Um, God is, is involved in marriage. Marriage is worth fixing. If you're single, uh, you can learn in this series. Um, it's very important that you and I believe and see marriage for what it's supposed to be, uh, how God designed it to be. People don't win the marriage lottery. How'd they get a good one? They drew the numbers. No, agony, prayer, commitment, sacrifice, serving, loving, giving, forgiving. I heard one person say, uh, couples don't fall out of love, they fall out of forgiveness. And so, so just putting things in, into to work here, we're, doing, we're gonna do some marriage work. Uh, one of the greatest struggles in marriage is unrealistic expectations. Come on, anybody ever been let down by some, they're gonna cook dinner every night. We're going to have sex every day. The yard is going to be beautiful all the time. You know, what, un, we're just unrealistic expectations. I, I love everything about them. They complete me. No, they don't. <laughs> Jesus completes you. They're going to laugh at every joke. They're going to, man, we are, we are just alike. No, you're not. You just ignored every red flag and all the stuff you didn't like because you wanted to have sex. I'm going to be real in this, this situation. You're not just alike. Opposites attract and then opposites attack. And so we end up getting into these situations where now dinner's not on the table every night. They're not fanning me. We're not traveling every other week to some luxury destination, right? And now the conflict sets in and you're like, okay, whoa, I didn't expect this. So my prayer is that God would do miracles in my life and my marriage, that God would do miracles for you and your marriage and what is marriage and how do you know when you've attained to a good marriage and if we're dreaming about marriage, what is happily ever after? So I wanna start with the end in mind. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes for a second. Just close your eyes and just picture your marriage right now. Picture, picture marriage, not even just your marriage. Picture what you think a dream marriage is. Picture what happily ever after is. Just picture it. Just gonna picture it for a second. What? Here's my question. What you're picturing, is it, is it worth pursuing? Is what we picture worth pursuing? Maybe the model that you've seen, maybe the picture that you have in your mind isn't actually worth pursuing. Maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe there's a different goal. What is the goal? How do you know when you've attained the goal? How do we know if, if we've got the marriage that God wants us to have? Well, the Bible gives us a, a real picture. Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 25 is the picture of the first marriage. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. This word helper is not like, like a subservient person to clean and cook. And no, no. Helper is actually the word we get for the Holy Spirit. In other places in the Bible, I will make him a, a, a partner in the mission of life. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Meaning Adam had a job, everybody. Adam worked. <laughs> if you want to be married and have a good marriage, get you a job. 
And whatever Adam called him, that was the name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. There was no one for companionship, for covenant, for being all in for all time. There wasn't anybody for Adam like that. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up his flesh in its place. We'll talk about the rib later on. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is bone of my bone. He, he was, he, we, we look alike so we can relate. We look alike so we can relate. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. What a beautiful picture. Like Adam's got this job. He can't find any companionship, no one to do covenant with. Nothing looked like him. And God said, I'm going to take a rib. He takes a rib out of him and he forms Eve and he brings her to Adam. And it says they became one, this miracle. They became one, two identities, two people, two bank accounts, two different jobs, two different personalities, two different people, two different last names. They come and this miracle happens and they become one. God said it is good that marriage should be honored by all. It's this gift that God gave to us, one flesh, two worlds, one flesh. Here's what marriage was not. It wasn't a reaction to attraction. Marriage was not an institute to help my financial status and my financial standing in the world. It wasn't a tax break on a piece of paper. It wasn't wasn't, um, uh, something because I was lonely. Marriage wasn't something because that God gave them because they were lonely and they needed companionship. No, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, an old ball and chain or life sentence. It wasn't something to give to us uh, because our families kept be- bu- bugging us and nagging us because we weren't married yet and everybody else was. It wasn't something to give to you because you were lonely or needed completed. No, 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 no. Marriage was a miracle created by God, a gift given to you and I worth pursuing. And it's so important how you see marriage because however you see something is how you treat something. And so the way you see marriage, the way you view marriage determines how you treat it. And so you have to have the right picture, the right view in our mind. And most marriages are built on pictures of ingredients that we prefer. Come on, somebody. We we see this and we want that. We make our list. Come on, anybody got the list? We have these marriage goals and these lists that we've kind of written down. And especially if you're single, you probably have these lists, especially nowadays, all these ladies, they got these lists like, man, you ain't even on that list. You better become that list. (laughs) Get the list. And it's like, then you say, I do. And now what do you do? You go to trying to make the person fit your list. I need you to become all these things, get to doing, get to, get to being this. And we picture stuff. What are, what are the things we picture? Okay, I, I got my list. What? I need a 10 out of 10 perfect body. And all the 20-year-olds said, amen. <laughs> I need him to complete. That's my soulmate. It's the one and only in 7 billion for me. No, it's not. If you said I do, it is. It is now. But, uh, but I mean, it's not the thing that completes you. It's like, it's like, oh, I just imagine hand in hand, feet in the sand. We traveling everywhere. Some of y'all saw that. Don't even know where the money's coming from. <laughs> Checks in the mailbox. You know, every month you wish you were in some different destination. You don't even have a job yet. It's like, oh, we're going around the world. You know, I, I, I'm an influencer. I'm going to be a, 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 a beach critic. We're going to travel to every beach. <laughs> It's like, 
tall, dark, and handsome. I mean, that's all I got. I mean, what about, what about kind of average height, stocky, and eh? <laughs> I got a hot wife, though. Come on, somebody. I got a hot wife. I want to get married. I'm gonna, I want to have sex 24-7. I, I just, I, I picture it. I deal with lust. I deal with different things. So I'm going to get married, and this is going to solve all my issues once I get married. And I know it's 24-7 to fulfill all my sexual desires. I want the car. I want security. We're going we're gonna to live in Sequoia Hills and have a golden doodle and be members of Cherokee Country Club. <laughs> These are the pictures that we have in our minds. And I, I just want to say, these pictures don't lead to anything you really want. They don't, they don't lead to what you want. And we get in our mind, like, I want this and I want that. Please listen to me. I'm going to say a heavy statement here. It'll be on the screen. The most Satan-like thing you can do in a relationship is make it all about you. The most Satan-like thing that I can do in a relationship is make it all about me. Let me go to a conversation in the Bible. This is the first time that everyone got thrown out of the house. First time anyone separated. The first divorce, per se, in the Bible. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will will be like the most high God. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the depths and the pits of the lowest depths. This is the language of the culprit of the separation. This is the fall of Satan. This is Lucifer being thrown out of the heaven. The first separation, the first, the first divide, the language from the culprit is I will, I will, I want, I need, I will, my needs, my wants, my needs, my, I, 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 and we see a world, especially in marriage, in a culture, self-care and my needs and my wants and my, and it's the storyline of the fall of Satan. After pastoring for 20 years, seeing good marriages and failed marriages, seeing people that are successful and not, can I say this? Every failed relationship has fallen apart at the spot of self-centeredness. Every failed relationship falls apart at the place of self-centeredness. Like, well, you don't know what they did to me. Yeah, they were, they were abusive. That's self-centered. They were, they were all about themselves, self-centered. Self-centeredness is the spot that really tears apart our lives, our relationships, our marriages. And the common views of marriage are very self-centered. Man, I just need security. But I'm just lonely in this season. I just need somebody to complete me. I just don't want to lust anymore. I, need, I just can't keep my hands off them. I can't. Can I tell you, young people, if you're, if you're single in here, the number one, I just, somebody asked me a marriage advice the other day. The number one piece of a marriage advice I would give to young couples in this day and age that are dating or going to date is stay pure. It's stop living together. Stop having sex before marriage. Quit playing house. Get married under God's eyes in the house of God under covenant all in for all time. I know that seems old school. God is not outdated. He knows what he's doing. And y'all are out here having chemistry experiments. <laughs> you need goggles and, and masks for that kind of stuff. <laughs> Turn the Bunsen burner off, you know. Anyway. <laughs> I, I just, I, 
I really, I really want to help you. Like, I'm going to talk a little bit about a little bit more about this next week, but, but some of it's self-centered. I have needs. We have to know if we're a fit. I, I want security. Well, it's more convenient for, to move in together. It's more, you know, no, it's like there's a way that God says is successful and it's going to bring life to your relationships. And so I just want to encourage you, man, don't do these things because of selfishness or what, what it sounds like with your needs or my wants. That sounds a lot like Lucifer. I need this and I want that. And a marriage built on me will not last. So, so what does marriage look like? At the, at the root of selfishness, let me say this, and this is heavy. At the root of selfishness is satanic behavior. What if we saw selfishness as satanic? Oh, we like to rename it. I need self-care, satanic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, go to the spa if you need to. But I'm just saying, like, with, like, <laughs> like with each other, like, when it comes to serving each other, uh, it's so important. The first marriage, get this, write this down. The first marriage was created by God on the foundation of serving. So in the story in Genesis chapter two, when God creates Adam and Eve and does a marriage, listen, y'all still with me? Got a few more minutes. God goes in, he takes, a, he takes a rib out of Adam and he creates bone of bone, he creates Eve. Do you, don't you think he could have created Eve from anything else? Like he could have made Eve from a flower, from a lily pad, from something beautiful, you know, from a little mockingbird. I don't know, he could have made Eve from anything. He could have made Eve from anything, but he decided to take a rib. Do you know how vital a rib is? Come on, if you get bruised ribs, you can't even sneeze. You know, a rib is vital in a man's body. It's like it protects the heart. It holds up the frame. It gives you strength. It gives you vitality. Like you need your ribs. And God said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to create marriage on the thing it's going to take to sustain it. I'm going to reach into a man. I'm going to put him to sleep. I'm going to do surgery and I'm going to take out something that's vital. I'm going to remove a rib, something that gives him strength. I'm going to remove something that he needs and I'm going to use it to build up his spouse. And I'm going to found the first marriage on sacrifice. I'm going to make the foundation of marriage be sacrifice. Something that is needed, that's painful, that maybe can't be lived without, but I'm going to allow this to be the foundation. And I just want to encourage you, like if you're going to build a marriage on serving, that's a marriage that lasts. Building a marriage on, on, on sacrifice and serving, a marriage built on me and you personally doesn't work. Here's the big idea. Very simple. When you shut your eyes, and you picture marriage, stop viewing marriage as a picture to see or a list to have and start viewing it as a purpose to serve. The gift that God's given is actually a purpose to serve. It's a position that you and I hold to serve. Jesus is our model. He was never married, but he was married to the bride. The Bible says he is the head of the church. We're his bride. He's the model. He gave his life. He served before we ever served him. He's the model for you and I to look at and go, okay, wow, here's the one. Here's who we have to model our life after to, to submit. We submit to God. We submit to each other. Ephesians 5 talks all about marriage and submission and leadership and husbands and wives. Wives, the Bible, it's a cuss word in today's society. It, it says wives submit to husbands, submission. Everybody say the S word, Submission. Let me just say this. That doesn't mean cooking dinner, doing what he says. You know what the word submission means? Submission means come under, sub, under the mission. Men, you better have a mission worth coming under. Bigger than your meal. 
If you sense so, she just doesn't submit. Maybe you don't have a mission worth submitting to. I, w- I wouldn't put myself under some of y'all's mission. <laughs> That's why we do what we do here, trying to reach the world, serve the nations, heal the sick, raise the dead, believe God, feed our neighbors. There's a mission here. That's why we, it's not just to do church. It's a mission to put your life in so that, so that things can come under something bigger than yourself. And so as we get involved, so there's submission. Ladies, you get to pick who you submit to, pick wisely. And ladies, you think you have a bad submission. We get crucifixion. (laughs) The Bible says we're called to die, serve our wives like Jesus served the church. Men, you're called to die. What does that look like? It calls, it means like, like giving up things that you think are vital to you, like ribs, like, like giving up, like giving up your hobbies and your, and your, and some of the things that you think you need to have spouse care versus your own self-care. I know there's times in my life when my wife wanted me to give up a, a hobby and I didn't and I hurt her badly. And I was like, I need that. And some of the biggest pain points in our marriage when I wouldn't decide and choose her over a hobby because I thought I needed it. And, I, and, and, and I've worked through that and now I've laid it down at times and now we're in unity around those things. But I just, men, someone has to start the serving process. And again, guys, this stuff's not easy. I mean, it's not like, oh, this is just, this is gonna happen overnight. It's just so easy. Like, oh, great, I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve everybody. No, it's not easy. Listen to this. A desperate woman wrote to tech support. Dear tech support, last year I upgraded from boyfriend 5.0 to husband 1.0. And I noticed a distinct slowdown in the overall system performance particularly in the flower and jewelry applications. In addition, Husband 1.0 uninstalled many other valuable programs such as Romance 9.5 and Personal Attention 6.5 and then installed undesirable programs such as Social Media 5.0, TV 3.0, and Basketball Game 4.1. Conversation 8.0 no longer runs. Please note that I've tried nagging 5.3 to fix the problems, but to no avail. What can I do? Sign Desperate Woman. Dear Desperate Woman from Tech Support, first, keep in mind, Boyfriend 5.0 is an entertainment package, while Husband 1.0 is an older, more reliable operating system. Please, please enter command, I thought you loved me, dot HTML, and try to download tier 6.2, and don't forget to install the Guilt 3.0 update. If those applications work as designed, Husband 1.0 should then automatically run the applications Jewelry 2.0 and Flowers 3.5. However, remember, overuse of the above applications can cause Husband 1.0 to default to Silence 2.5, Happy Hour 7.0, and Beer 6.1. Whatever you do, do not, under any circumstances, install Mother-in-Law 1.0. It runs a virus in the background that will eventually seize control of all your system resources. In summary, Husband 1.0 is a decent program, but it does have limited memory and cannot learn new applications quickly. You might consider buying additional software to improve memory and performance. We recommend Cooking 3.0 and Hot Dress 7.7. So... The success of all this is going to be built on serving each other. And I found in my life with my wife, when I serve her more and pour into her more, she has more to pour into me. It's hard for two people that are empty to pour into each other. And the more you decide, you know what, this isn't a list. This is a, 
a position to serve and pour in and I begin to pour in. Well, you know, pastor, they're never going to serve me. They're never going to pour into me. They're, they're selfish. Maybe they are. And let me say this. Your, your motivation and model for serving is not your spouse. Your motivation and model is Jesus. Is looking at love, is looking at, at the word of God, is looking at Jesus, love incarnate and going, you know what? You love me before I ever even thought about serving you. You gave your life. You died for me. You gave it all. Lord, I, you're my motivation and model, not, not what they do. And as you pour into them, I promise you there'll be something to pour back into you. I wanna ask you two things today to do and I'm gonna pray for you. Number one, as you leave here, just ask your spouse today. Maybe tomorrow, I don't know. And if you're single, you can ask yourself the same question. Number one, ask your spouse, hey, in what area do I need to serve you more right now in this season? How can I serve you more in this season? And then the second question, it's a tougher one, say, what, men, I want you to start. What blind spots of selfishness are in my life right now? And how, and how you respond to that question, if you ask your spouse that and how you respond is gonna determine if they get, get vulnerable and share anything real with you in the future. So I would encourage you just to be quiet and listen and say, thank you. What, what, how do I need to serve you in this season and what blind spots of selfishness are in my life right now? Single people, you need to ask yourself, how am I serving right now to prepare for marriage in the future? How am I, how am I serving right now? And, and two, how am I being selfish right now? What areas in my life am I walking in selfishness when I have time and availability and resources to actually serve in the things of God? The Bible says if you see people as broken, you'll try to fix them. If you see people as sick, you'll try to heal them. But if you see people as valuable in the Imago Dei and the image of God, you'll try to serve them. And so, man, we could have a servant revolution in this place. And I'm believing for healed marriages. Your marriage can be healed, I promise. Father, thank you for this house. Thank you for people that love you and want to do it your way. Lord, when we can't change or grow or mature, we look at love. We look at you today. We look at the example you've given us. I pray that you would do a supernatural healing and, make, and strengthening marriages today so that we can be who we're called to be in this city and around the world. We give you glory and honor and praise for it. In Jesus' matchless name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a little praise in this place. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.